All right. I don't know if you could hear me. I was uh, snapping my fingers there. Trying to get the energy up for another edition of Swing Thoughts. Uh, my name's Humble Howard, along with the uh, head coach of the Guelph Griffins and uh, mental performance coach extraordinaire. He is uh, my spiritual brother. <laughs> he, he and I are spirit. He's my uh, he's my golf spirit animal, Tim O'Connor. Yeah, brothers in arms. Which yeah, great Dire Straits album, right? Just like our theme song and all that good stuff. Yeah, look at us making uh, synergies. You know, without even trying synergies. I don't think you make synergies. Don't they just happen? Okay, look at us with our synergies. <laughs> it's just just happening. <laughs> Uh, it behooves us. We're behooving today. Behooves us to uh, do a, what? I, it, Tim is uh, kidding me because before I hit record, I said, you know, I said let's let's do the show. We're recording it on the fourth of April tomorrow, April fifth, the start of the Masters. I said let's throw it up tomorrow, and we can do kind of a, a real time Masters preview. I said, you know, it would behoove us to do such a thing, and uh, that titillated my literary friend to no end. And you found great mirth in the fact that you actually said the word. <laughs> there was mirth and merriment spread betwixt us. We, you know what? We we had some good Congress and fellowship, my friend. Congress. Hmm. I don't have that very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be the, the. Let's get to the point, which is now it's time for all good men to turn their attention to this fabulous sport. This uh, semi-religious experience. I, I say that with all due respect. And the first week of April brings us the Masters. We'll get to that on the show today. Also, um, let's get right. Let's get right to this part about you, sir. Um, there's a couple of announcements. Number, we'll, well, we're going to announce our new sponsor in a second. But on April 17th, you can meet Tim O'Connor in person. Oh, yes, yes. I'm going to be at um, Cut and Field Golf Club, 7 p.m., April 17, giving a, a talk on Mo Norman, a, uh, a, based on my book, The Feeling of Greatness, The Mo Norman Story. And, and largely it's a chance for people to share stories and we can tell some stories of the legend of Mo and, and look at what the things we can learn from the eccentric genius of golf. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Cut and Field, April 17th. It's fun. It's free. Come have a few adult beverages, and we can share most stories. Amazing. And I, I was lucky enough to be at your The Feeling of great, Greatness. Um, what would you call it? The revision of that book. The revised uh, uh, book. Yeah, the book launch for that. <laughs> the book launch. Yeah, Thank we, you. Here with <laughs> literary people. Suddenly, we're not very literary. Well, no, no. I Just because I, I feel like uh, <laughs> I've just been up... Since like four thirty, so it's a little bit. It's a li- I'm a little bit tongue tied, and again, I get very excited to do the golf broadcast. So, um, no, I and I was lucky enough to watch you talk about Mo that evening, along with uh, some good friends of yours, uh, our buddy Mark Evershed, Mike Monitz. Is that his name, Monitz? Mark, Mike, Mark. Mike Mertz. And uh, I thought you did great. Thank you. Really, really great. And uh, I think it would be worth anyone's while to come. What, but just give us a little flavor. What are the kind of things you get into? Um, yeah, it's just, we get into things like 
Well, people say that Mo Norman was the greatest ball striker who, who ever lived, and they say, "Well, if he was so darn good, how come he didn't? How come he wasn't a star in the PGA Tour?" And so I take a look at some of the things that happened in Mo's life, childhood, growing up, you know, and which helped him become such a great ball striker, but also conspired against him in terms of his excruciating inferiority complex, his his, his shyness, his social awkwardness, and that really wasn't, despite being like this machine who could hit the ball exactly where he wanted, not a very good fit for traveling around on something like the PJ Tour. So for sure. Like that. And, and also things like, what I find really amazing is, and I, was, I had lunch yesterday with a, another big Mo fan, and, and we're both saying that if you really look at it, it's pretty interesting. In the history of the world, but, you know, the humans have been hitting rocks with clubs and golf balls, et cetera. Mo Norman, without dispute, the best human who ever lived at doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And he had no lessons. He had no support from his family. He didn't come from, you know, most of the people who excel in this game but came from money, you know, country club kids and that kind of thing. Certainly not Hogan, Sneed, Trevino, those guys, but anyway... So what can we learn from the way Mo built his golf swing? What are the things that he did in terms of developing an awareness within him and his body and creating this golf swing that goes against all the sacred tenets of golf instruction? He, his golf swing looks really weird, but so how did he do this? And I think there's a lot of learning that we can take from that yeah. I was fascinated by it's that. more than just about a guy that hit a golf ball straighter than anyone has ever done before and, and I recommend hold on a second Tim Tim yes this is unprecedented we're, we're actually getting a call uh, to the Swing Thoughts podcast hi who might this be this this might be the uh, one of the, the king of the golf nerds <laughs> <laughs> this my friends is Rudra Rishi Maharaj how are you, Howard? Uh, I'm terrific, my friend. Say hi to Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach. <laughs> hi, Tim. How are you? Hey, good, Roger. Good to, good to hear your voice on our podcast. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the first someone calling in for the podcast. Yeah. It. Well, because I was just on Facebook Messenger with Rudra. He was, here's, here's what Rudra's doing. People who are listening should know, Rudra has like a grown-up, super grown-up job. He, he, he deals with people all over the world, but he just texted me. He said, hey, did you see my, the balls that I got? The new balls I had monogrammed? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I said something about that. Talk about that. Golf, you're, yeah, you're like, uh, dude, have you seen my new uh, logoed balls? I'm like, yeah, dude, I love your balls. They're fantastic. <laughs> um, hey, Timmy, I, I thought it would be fun to have Rudra come on just briefly because we have uh, some yeah. stuff to get to. Just, and, and Rudra is going to be one of the participants in the first annual uh, golf nerd warrior training uh, next weekend. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be a good time. Uh, you know, I like to, you know everybody talking their golf stories and uh, you know their uh, uh, you know sort of exile for from golf since uh, you know last fall and everybody's eagerness to get back at it uh, as soon as the warm weather arrives. Tim, Tim, did you hear that? I did, yeah. Do you have any thoughts about uh, what we might expect uh, for, you know, what we're going to be providing for our uh, golf nerd warriors uh, next weekend? 
Well, I think what, well, what we're going to provide is a, is a place where we can kind of look at some of the things that you know, we might want to take into the golf season. Like, what are, what's our intention for, for the golf season? What are the things that we're going to be uh, focused on? And looking at some, some strategies, maybe some different stuff than you've ever considered in terms of, of your golf game. Like, for example, um, I think most people ask me, what do you want from your golf season this year? Well, I want to lower my handicap, uh, do well in my club C, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't that the same thing that people say every year? And maybe there's a few different things, maybe some, say, process things that they can look at and just broaden their awareness a little bit and have some mental strategies that might help them go into the season a little stronger than they have in the past. Um, Rudra, uh you know, I we you know I I played some golf with Ruja. I've hung with Ruja, and he's a very thoughtful, bright man. And uh, but you know, the problem with the sport is that there's all these things that come up in the game. You know, we've talked about this that you know are a little bit different than other sports. There's all this time to you know examine your not only your self worth in the game, but your worth as a human being. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's um, you know, as Tim was saying, there's a lot of things about setting goals, but there's uh, you know, you got to uh, lay the path to get from where you are to those goals. And uh, sounds like if we're going to talk a lot about those kinds of things at the the uh, the first annual uh, event uh, next week. Yeah, well, we look forward to it. And listen, um, Timmy, we're I think we're up to like five or six guys. Is that where we're at? Actually. Uh, my latest count was was at least eight, perhaps nine. Okay, well, that, and and because that's where we're, we're we're looking for maybe ten. If someone's listening now this weekend through the Masters and decides you want to join us, we'll make a, as much room as we can. But ten or twelve is kind of our limit. And Rudra, we look forward to hanging with you. Uh, I know you'll be texting me this weekend during the uh, you know the run for history. <laughs> the, um, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep it to a minimum. I know you get a lot of people sending you texts. Well, I, uh, I mean, I'm, the thing is, I know Tim knows this too, because sometimes I watch tournaments uh, fifteen or twenty minutes behind, yeah. and I always text back and go, "I'm not, I'm not there yet." But this weekend, I will be live for all to, uh, for, a, for for us all to uh, nerd out together. Yep, I'll uh, absolutely be there next weekend, and uh, looking forward to this weekend. It should be, it could be a an historic weekend. Just quickly, Roger, before we let you go, um, any thoughts about uh, who might win the the Masters? Well, you know, as uh, I heard you guys on the from the Hummel and Fred show this morning, you know, you were uh, looking at Justin Rose. Uh, there, that was my pick. Playing, playing really well right now, uh, you know, um, uh, and uh, you know, last week uh, Ian Poulter sort of uh, had his putting back like he does when he puts in the uh, Ryder Cup, and just. I was I was going to text you and, and send you a wow uh, <laughs> after he made that putt on on eighteen to tie it like that was talk about pressure and and coming through and a you know it was a fifteen footer under pressure to tie it to go to a playoff I yeah it was it was incredible yeah whether you're a Polter fan or not and I am but whether you like the guy or not or it's just fun to watch somebody have to make a putt and then actually make it when they had to it's pretty cool. Oh yeah, and and going into that weekend, he knew that, or going into last week, he knew that he had to win to make the Masters. So that's uh, that's setting your goals and, and achieving them for sure. All right, Rudra, we'll see you next weekend, Tim. Uh, any okay. final thoughts on Rudra? Oh, I look forward to seeing you, man. That'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, it's next. It's Saturday the fourteenth, about eight thirty till noon at the Humble and Fred 
uh, radio studio. So it'll be a lot of fun. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. On on the 15th, I'm heading down to Dallas, and I'm taking my clubs with me. So there you go. And don't forget your don't, don't forget the balls that say Rudra on them or whatever. Absolutely. The Rudy balls. I'm going to call them. All right, buddy. Take care. Okay, you do. Right, Bye. Bye Tim. Look at that, Tim. That's that's history, by the way. It's the first time we've had a humble and humble and Tim humble. And, uh, what is the show called? Swing Thoughts listener actually call the show. That was history. He called it. <laughs> we didn't even mention it. He knew it. <laughs> so that that because Ruger, he's like he's one of what do we call our greatest fans? Our hundred percenters. Well, he's like a he's like a humble and Fred Hunty P. No, that what, what why he called is because I was messaging him. He just messaged me and told me he got these balls. So I said, here's the number. Call. We're recording the show. Yeah, that's great. So let's uh, let's switch to. I love technology. There you go. Let's switch to, um, you know, what we're kind of going to be focusing on a little bit, I think, is. Oh, and we're also, at some point, we're going to tell you about our new sponsor. And we're going to talk about the Guelph Griffin uh, team that we want to do a little fundraising for. But first, what are your thoughts as we head into, uh, I believe it's the 92nd Masters Tournament. The Tournament, right? I love that. Um, I I am so jacked. This is a really exciting Masters. Uh, of course, you know, the key story is Tiger. And, and, you know, it's been a lot said, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more. But there's all kinds of stories that just come together. You mentioned uh, Poulter. And this all the drama around that, him thinking that uh, he was told during the work, the match play that he was in, and then, oops, we made a mistake. And you can imagine how that hit him, and having come down to the, the last tournament, and he wins it in that fashion, that's a great story. Uh, Jordan Spieth, tough fall, I mean, spring, but he looks to be rounding into shape at the right time. Uh, Mickelson winning his first tournament, you know, and then him and Tiger playing a practice round. It just goes on and on and on. And, you know, Rory, you know, what did he make, six birdies in the last um, back nine to win, to, to run away with Bay Hill? Like, holy cow. It just seems that all these guys are rounding into form. And, you know, it just should be an amazing weekend. You know, it's uh, it's been a while when I was hearing um, Mike Tirico did a, a thing I think it was last night, the live from the Masters featured him, and he's such a great essayist as a broadcaster. Oh, yeah. he's, he's one of those guys I just forget. He has great depth of knowledge, but he's just a mechanically a very good broadcaster. Anyway, um, talking about a lot of it was about Tiger, but the non-Tiger part that, as you just said, there's all these guys, Thomas and you know uh, Spieth and Mickelson and on and on that are all in great form. Justin Rose and even Sergio's playing well. John Rahm. There's like the top 10 or 12 guys at this tournament this weekend are all playing nicely. My dream, though, and this isn't a big thing, you know, my dream is always, I don't, you, 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 it's, it's tough to win golf tournaments. But for me as a fan of Tiger, I just want him somewhere near the lead on Sunday. Because waking up Sunday morning knowing that at one thirty or whatever, he's going to be in the second last group or the last group or whatever, somewhere near the lead, just makes the day sparkle for me. What about you? Oh, that would be amazing. I mean, just think back to the Valspar. Uh, what was that, like a month ago? 
that I had so much energy just and it wasn't yeah we had the Canadian in there yeah that was that was nice but that <laughs> the energy that was just around that tournament and in the, the Twitterverse and everywhere because Tiger was back and everything he brings uh, it'd be off the charts if he is in in the mix on Sunday um, it'll be so exciting and you know regardless what you think of Tiger some people you know and a lot of people um, frankly were they, they wrote him off uh, didn't quite like you know what his character stood for around you know when all this stuff hit the fan about the uh, the affairs and all that so, so I get that but I kind of look at it this way it's like like right now we are could you imagine being able to roll back tape and be able to watch like Babe Ruth in his prime Joe, Joe DiMaggio um, I don't know Bill Walton Michael Jordan and and or Jack and now we we're in the midst of seeing Tiger I mean it's a it's a great uh, spectator seat to have and so if he's in the mix, the, the energy and the excitement will be crazy, and it's great for golf, for sure. This piece last night Mike Tirico uh, presented, basically they were, they were talking about you know 20 years since 1997, and the reason they presented the piece this year is because he wasn't there last year. So they talked uh, quite a bit about what changed in golf and the kind of changes that came about because of Tiger Woods. And there was all these different people from Phil Knight at Nike to different sportscasters, Dick Ebersol, the head of NBC at the time, and basically they all said the same thing. In a nutshell, they said Tiger Woods has had more impact on his sport possibly than anyone has ever had on any sport ever, not just in their prime, but what they did to that sport, and their supporting arguments were pretty compelling. In 1996, the year he turned pro, there were only nine players on the PGA Tour that made over a million dollars. In 2016, 20 years from then, 96 players made a million dollars. Phil Mickelson was part of this piece, and he said, you know, in the early 90s, we were playing for a $180,000 first place prize. And he said, we all kind of hoped one day that we would be playing for a million dollar first place check. He said, I thought we'd get there, but probably not in my lifetime. Then he pauses and says, and then came Tiger. And within a very short time, they were all playing. You know, that's why they all, forget the fact that they all got, you know, they were looking at Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and all these young kids that were on camera saying, the reason I wanted to be a golfer is because of Tiger Woods. Forget that part. But because, you know, the fact that he made it cool for them. But they're all multi, multi, multi-millionaires um, in, a, in a way similar to what Arnold Palmer did, but even more far-reaching. Because Tiger Woods, being a, a kid of color, opened up the golf world to a whole cohort around the planet that had never considered it before. Absolutely. All, all of that. All of that. Well, well, I said, Mo, Tiger transcended golf. It's like you said, part of it had to do with you know, uh, what he describes as some cablation, you know, um, uh, black and Thailand, um, you know the the hundred watt smile, uh, but just you know an amazing amazing athlete. But he was someone who transcended the sport. You know even you know, people who didn't care about golf, you know would tune in uh, to majors. You know throughout his career, and you couldn't help but be 
amazed by, by what he was doing. I mean, he was winning close to 50% of the events that he played in. I mean, it's crazy mm. the, how he dominated the sport and, and just the, the moments, the, the heroic moments, you know, such as the uh, incredible chip-in at Augusta um, on 16 there where the ball goes up the hill and rolls back down and hangs on the left. Um, you know, you could moment after moment like that. So he just became, he, he became really bigger than golf. And so to your point, he totally, tra- he totally transformed the game uh, in much the same way that Arnold did. When Arnold came around in the, uh, in the 1960s, golf was still pretty much kind of a country club blue blood sport. Yeah, he put go- Arnold Palmer put golf on the map. Um, in a way, uh, for sure, for television. Yeah. But but Tiger did a different thing only because of his... Well, it was also a different time. Um, what about... Let's talk a little bit about the mental side of what it takes to... I mean, I don't even... I, I can't... I can contemplate it. I can think about and read about what it must be like to, you know, for Poulter to sink that putt or the first tee tomorrow or the first tee at the Masters, but I wonder what it, you know, what those guys go through, and to perform excellently at the highest level, it really is, it really does take somebody special. I mean, we all have the capacity for growth, but you've got to be a special athlete to be able to withstand that pressure. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But they've also been doing it, most of them, all their lives. Oh, yeah, for sure. These, these guys who are at this level have been like since they were most of them since 8, 10, 12 years old there's been a path that's been set for them and they've had so much training and been you know in you know U.S. amateurs and U.S. juniors and and incredible events and NCAA tournaments so it's just experience after experience after experience and a lot of failure but a lot of also um, victories, and you just get, you just learn from, from, I just think they learn from their own experience what it takes for them to perform at their best, mm-hmm. and what they are able to do that most uh, mortals cannot is to be able to tune out the noise, whether it be the fans, what this means, all of that, and just be present to their own experience of what it takes to execute and that takes just so much incredible amount of uh, of skill and that's why really when you see most guys in the, or women in the LPGA Tour when they first get in contention in a major they throw up all over themselves because they're just not, not used to it but the more you, you get in that but so it's experience and it takes us, the, the reason they're there is because they have talent, but they've developed that skill. And I think largely it's that ability to, to rise to the moment and be present to their own experience so they can execute. You know, I think a lot of us imagine that they're not nervous or that they're not, you know, freaked out by it. But what you said about their experience, and that's what it is, experience just gives you... You know, it just makes those things a little less than they would be for someone without experience. You know, um, 
You know, I was on stage, I don't know, four times last week in front of various sizes of human beings. And what I've noticed about my various crowd sizes, I was, I was on stage in front of a lot of very skinny people last week. I noticed that there were too many skinny people in one audience. And I said, you people need to eat something. Anyway, um, what I noticed about, like, you know, when I walk on stage, I'm no less nervous than, you know, anyone else. But what I do have to draw on is experience. And so what I've noticed over the course of this winter, and I noticed it last summer as a golfer, is that, yes, I still get nervous. But when I, what happens is I'm able to synthesize the feelings and and be comfortable. And, and I'm not sure if we said this to each other, <clears throat> pardon me, on the phone the other day or on the podcast, but that the idea of of looking at nervousness as excitement. You know, and that's one of the things I will offer our nerds next weekend is that, you know, you can interpret anything any way you want to. And I, you know, when I was younger, I think I interpreted certain <laughs> stimuli in a pretty negative way. Whereas last week I was on stage and at one point I'm like, I realized I'm thinking basically in real time now. Not quite, but almost. And that's what's changed in my my routines these days is that before I wasn't thinking in real time. I was freaking out all the time in my head while talking. But now things have slowed down. And I think that's what happens to experienced golfers in tournament situations. Do you mean that you were, in your experience, that we're connecting this to golf, and that you're more present to your present to what's actually coming out of your mouth and, and being there rather than your head being, okay, uh, this joke appears to be coming off, setting up for next one. Don't forget the one and close with this. I mean, being ahead of yourself. Well, you, you know, y'all, yeah, in, you always have a sense. If I'm doing 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, I have a sense of where I'm going to go. But when I was first back doing it, I was really in my head looking at words in my brain while saying them out loud. Whereas now what I've had, what I've realized is they're there and uh, I'll get to them and I'll do them the best I can. But I don't focus on that as much as I focus on, you know, am I, am I in this room to your point? Am I present right now or am I thinking about dang, that, that didn't work, or now what am I going to do? You still have those thoughts, but I think what's happened when I say things have slowed down for me, it's the same with being in a tournament. You know, I'm, I'm really excited about this tournament season because I've got some recent experiences of, you know, dealing with nerves to draw on. Yeah, well, you've got experience and also... You've been in it enough situations that you know, like, the way your body reacts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really interesting thing to look at. In turn, most of us are all concerned about what's going on in our heads. I get that. But your body really tells you what's going on. And, for example, um, so I've had some speaking engagements recently. And, you know, I was sitting there and I could feel my stomach. I couldn't eat dinner very much. and But I got up there and... I was just kind of, okay, my body's doing this, but somehow <laughs> I just started talking, and, oh, the words seem to be coming out, and I'm still standing, and it's okay. <laughs> but it's from having, like, 
gotten up there and went, okay, this isn't, this feeling in my body doesn't mean uh, this is impending death. It's like, no, I'm okay with, I'm okay with this. I've done the preparation. Go. You know, that we had talked a little bit, you and I, about your speaking, and I, and I, you know, it's funny. I used to be so distraught <laughs> the day of a show. You know, I couldn't eat before, and I'd be thinking about it all day. And then what happened is a hundred shows later or more. You know, I can actually have dinner. Uh, the you know, golf spiritual leader's uh, new woman friend uh, and I. We, we were having dinner. Um, Last weekend, I was at Yuck Yucks. We had dinner together, and I even said that to her. I said, you know, last year when I first came back to doing stand-up, I couldn't have been here right now. She said, well, what would you have been like? I said, well, number one, I wouldn't have invited you because I would have been too uptight about that. And I said, number two, I wouldn't have eaten since noon because I wouldn't have been able to keep any food down. Mm -hmm. Cut to now, I'm like, I'm about to go do something that I know theoretically has some harm or whatever potential harm involved in it but i also know now it'll be over because <laughs> uh, i've done really bad and survived it i've done really well and felt fine but i know what it feels like to do to have here's what i was going to say connecting to golf what we're all trying to say here on the show i think is bad things are going to happen or things are going to not be perfect but the real secret is to draw on them and go oh well, I've I've gotten through shots that went into the water. You know, I've uh, felt like I was out of it and came back and played nicely the last six or seven holes. I've made double bogeys before. I've four putted before. So the the way I in, the way we would I think have people interpret those is, you know, bad things or unfortunate bounces happen. It's really part of you need to embrace that as the concept. Well, it doesn't. Whatever happens to you in whatever you do, golf, business, uh, relationships, whatever, none of that, and we, we've said this a lot of times, none of that defines you. How you perform does not mean success. You are a success or you are a failure. That's just stuff that happens in life. And that's why I keep coming back to this word presence. If I'm present in what's happening and just rolling with it and just being with whatever happens and it may not be what I hope for then that's the only place I can be but if I'm always in a place of oh I hope this works out you know hope I don't die from this and because if I don't I'll be a failure or whatever you're none of that all of these things are just part of you know cliche alert journey or practice and the more that we just stay uh, present to these things and experience them, then we basically we learn from them. So where I'm going to go with that is part of the reason I love Paul Azinger now as a broadcaster. He's so articulate and he's able to just say things in a way that I think captures it. And I remember him saying that for a lot of guys, particularly the first timers in a Ryder Cup, their body is reacting in ways that they've never experienced before. I remember him saying, like, you can feel... <laughs> You can feel the pressure in your eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Fingers are on fire. And so it's being able to still being able to execute and perform while that stuff is going on. And most of the time, whether you're giving a speech or a presentation or 
being a salesperson, you can, it's the stepping through and living with that that is the experience. And that's where the learning comes. Because you don't die from any of that stuff. You just learn from it. And you, and you just keep going. And that's where the experience builds and the experience builds. The thing is, yeah, yes to all of that. You know, the, the reason most people, you know, can't get their head around any kind of public speaking, whether it's giving a talk on Mo Norman or doing one of your workshops, or in my case, standing up trying to make people laugh, the, the stakes are just a little bit different, the outcome, but the experience inside your, your physical, your meat sack produces the same kind of feelings, the same way that you're more nervous on the first tee of your club C then, you know, playing Saturday morning grinders, whatever you guys call it. Yeah. You know, one of our guys coming next week, and he's a great kid. He's, his name's Tom uh, Leonowitz, and he's going into, uh, he's like 30, 31. He's a good ball striker, decent golfer, you know, better than average, and he's going to start playing tournament golf this year. And I've been talking to him, and I said, you know, you don't know uh, how you're going to feel until you put yourself in that situation. Most people don't want to because they're afraid of it. But people put themselves in that situation, and you have to experience what you experience to know that you're not going to die. Exactly, exactly. You know, but it feels like you are. But you don't. But you don't. Um, And it's stepping through that 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 you get like, like, oh, crap, I did die. And in fact, I learned a ton, and uh, let's do this again. You know, how you – and I've really – taken a lot of the stuff that I've been working on with uh, various folks from uh, you to Doolin to you know my own research I've taken a lot of what I've learned about how I react in tournament golf and I've applied it to stand up because you know when you're on stage as much as I've been the last year or so you can't you know you can't, it's like what I think happens to tour players you know you're having a bad week you know that there's going to be another tournament next week and um you know, I, I've just gotten to the point where when I have a bad set or it doesn't go well, I don't wear it for 24 hours. I don't go home moping and I don't feel bad about myself. I just kind of go, oh, well, you know, I was tired or I didn't execute very well, but I'm still a good guy. I'm still proud of the work I tried to do. And I go to bed fine. Whereas before, I just beat myself up about it, you know, and uh, it was a drag. Because sometimes you kind of go, well... Like, I was on stage two Saturdays ago, and I was just doing horribly. And at about the three-minute mark, I said, hey, can I just tell you guys something? <laughs> I'm not in a very good mood. And they sort of looked at me. I said, do you ever get that way? And they, they sort of, it, by acknowledging that I knew that things weren't going well, but I just didn't feel like it, to be honest with you. It was like the fourth day in a row. It was 10 o'clock at night. I'm an old man. But I just admitted it. I said, you know what? I'm not in a great mood. (laughs) We all kind of had a laugh about that. I said, tell you what, let me just muddle through the rest of this dreck, and then we'll all move on with our lives. Exactly. Well, uh, I love that. But consider Jordan Spieth from, uh, was it uh, it 2016 Masters, in which on Sunday he comes to 12 with the lead. And makes, I think he made a, um, was it? A, I think he I think made, he made a, a seven, seven or something, a, yeah. He made a quad. So the entire world of golf is focused on Jordan Spieth. Puts one in the water, two in the water. He walks away from that 
He goes to the 13th tee, and he's playing with Smiley Coffin. How's that for a great name? Mm-hmm. And he looks at Smiley, who had made a birdie, and Jordan goes, who's up? <laughs> and Smiley looks at him like, what? And then he starts laughing. I mean, he just suffered what a lot of people said was a disaster, his Waterloo. I mean, he, he got over it. And, and that's what happens for for players like this. And that was part of his learning curve. I mean, just think of Rory McIlroy. Uh, when he came, he had the lead. I think he was 21 years old uh, in the Masters. And I think on 10, starts off with that big hook. You're like, you've never seen anyone near the cabins there. Ends up shooting 80. And then, you know, like... If you equate that to, say, public speaking, he literally died in front of everyone. Obviously, it wasn't literally. Mm -hmm. He goes on, learns to that, and wins the U.S. Open, his very next major tournament. So these guys are living and dying in front of us, but they're not. That's part of the experience. That's where the great learning comes. And it's putting yourself out there. There's a lot of people who... who, particularly in golf, they're happy for, you know, some top ten finishes and whatnot, but no, they don't want to be they don't want to be in the lead on a Sunday and possibly uh, you know, puke all over their shoes. No, you're right. Not everyone wants it. You know, it's funny when Ruger was on the phone and you were saying, you know, a lot of people talk about their goals for the golf season. I want to do this, I want to do that. But I'll tell you, having been in the last group in a club championship, uh, not everyone wants that. It's, It's pretty it can be pretty uncomfortable. It can be exciting. Absolutely. It can be really exciting, but it's also that razor's edge, you know. And, then, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, doing stand-up, because I don't get the same nervousness doing the radio or television anymore, but I still get a little bit of a, uh, kind of feeling. Like, you know, it doesn't happen. It used to happen hours before, but now the other night when I was having dinner, we went to the club, and I, 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 at one point I said, listen, I'm just going to go get ready. About five minutes before I got on stage, I started pacing. They introduced me, and there you go. But there's there's always that little, huh, it could go anyway. You know, it could go, it could also, always, there's that potential. It's always there, but it's it's what you said about Spieth and, and players like that. They really do. They're very, very good at coming back to this moment that we're having right now. Um, and that really is, I think, the biggest takeaway. The the greatest learning we can offer is that, you know, whoever said it on our show last year, you know, you're always the your your body's always in the present tense. You just have to you just have to join it. Exactly. Be, uh, yeah, be there. And that's why your body is really the gateway to the present moment. It doesn't know how to time travel. They don't. They haven't figured out that Star Trek transporter thing yet. So when you do find yourself, and here's, you know, getting into kind of golf coach tips, whatever, that when you do find yourself, whether it's, you know, in the slow line at Tim Hortons or, you know, on the green or whatever, if you find yourself ahead, Connect back to your body, your breathing, the feeling of maybe just your your stomach or, or whatever, or you find yourself in the past. Come to your body because your body's always in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And if you've never tried it, good folks, you'd be amazed at the sense of calm that comes over you when you're in the present moment. You know what? What I, uh, you know, we talked about there just briefly. Me, me admitting to the audience that I wasn't in a great mood or whatever. 
you know, we there's a name for that. It's called. I'm trying to remember the consultant once told me, but I think it's called like uh, not admitting the verbal. Re- it's it's it, it's um. It doesn't matter. It's it's being in the present verbally, meaning that you always oh, called yeah. acknowledge acknowledging the verbal reality. And the greatest example recently of that is this kid that played with Tiger Woods at Honda. He's in the he's in the he's his it wasn't the last group, but he's in a group with Tiger Woods on Sunday. And there's more people than this has ever seen this guy play golf before. And uh, he says to Tiger Woods after they tee off, he puts his arm around Tiger and says something like, "Hey, isn't it great? All these people came out to see me." And, and it was just such a great acknowledgement that I'm nervous, everyone knows I'm nervous, but what the heck, let's have some fun. And you talk about yeah. turning nervousness into excitement. In order to have the presence, and that's, that's where that comes from, the present tense of mind, the presence of mind, to say that to Tiger Woods... You know, um, I've, had a, I've heard comics do this where they'll be at a comedy club and a famous person will come on and do a drop-in set. I've heard this story attributed to dozens of comedians, but let's just say Jerry Seinfeld. And the comic is about to go on, and the owner says, hey, Seinfeld wants to drop in you know, a quick 10. You know, What are you going to do, say no? So Seinfeld goes on before the kid kills, and then the kid gets up after Seinfeld and says, well, let me just start by saying, I want to thank Jerry for opening for me. <laughs> you you got to do something. You can't, just, you can't pretend that didn't just happen. Absolutely. Well, I love the. Well, that is the acknowledgement, right? Everyone in the room is going, "Oh, what's going on here?" Yeah. Everyone in the room is going, "I wonder how I would react to that." Yeah. Well, it's, it's like you say, it's the it's the acknowledgement. Um, wow. <laughs> so let's uh, finish up by letting everyone know they can help the Griffin Golf Team. Uh, oh yeah. Tell yeah, us yeah. briefly how to do that, and then we'll talk about our new sponsor. And then maybe we'll wrap it up with uh, final thoughts about uh, the Masters Tournament. Yeah, well, um, yeah, so I coach the University of Guelph uh, golf team. And uh, our team, by finishing uh, in the top five in the Ontario Championships, we qualified for the Canadian University Colleges Championship. But um, we don't have funding from our university. So we've got to raise the funds ourselves to get our our team of five and one coach to Chilliwack, BC. So it's a long way. So um, it's a good team. We'd love to finish the season off strongly. Um, so if you found it in the goodness of your hearts to go to to GoFundMe and search for the Guelph Griffin uh, National Championship, and and if you thought to, to throw us a few shackles to help us, that'd be much appreciated. Absolutely, it's a good. It's a good bunch of guys. You're a good bunch of guys, um, and we fully endorse. Plural like that, but pardon me, sir. <laughs> I've never been referred to as a plural. Maybe I need to lose a few pounds. I don't know, but oh yeah, that's your problem. You're a big fat guy. Um, Tim's in the best shape of any eighty year old I know. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, we want to welcome our new uh, apparel sponsor. Adidas. Absolutely. Uh, we just uh, literally uh, got off the phone with a very nice person from Adidas Canada, and uh, we're going to be outfitted uh, this summer in Adidas golf apparel. Some of some of it may be Swing Thought logoed, which well, I, I think we should just get a couple just because that would be pretty cool. We've come a long way, you and I, wearing our own logo on our shirt. That is pretty cool. Well, this is 
This is podcast number 61. Wow. We started on this journey. And, yeah, it's really exciting to to, uh, come on board with uh, Adidas. They outfitted the University of Guelph team last year. We love their stuff. And so it's it's a great match and uh, really excited to uh, be on board with them as uh, as one of our partners in, the, in our show. Um, I've been I concur. I've been lucky enough to wear their stuff for I think this will be my third season uh, when it was part of the TaylorMade family. But I, I'll say the Adidas is the type of apparel, and you see it in you know Dustin Johnson. You know which who I think it's funny. Do I am I. Am I, uh, do I have an issue? Do I think I look, I think my body's very similar <laughs> to, wait a sec, wait to a sec. Dustin uh, Johnson. I think, you know, if I were just a little taller and stronger and, uh, I don't know. Anyway. You don't have abs nor It's a thing called body dysmorphia. Is that what it is? Um, but I think uh, Adidas stuff just looks good on on everybody, and uh, there's lots of stuff for you to choose from. They, uh, I noticed that they've changed up some of their designs. You can see it in uh, the people that wear their stuff. And um, so, yes, we're very excited to have Adidas, part of the uh, Swing Thoughts family. Um, we've given out the information. We've got room for a couple more people for our uh, very first golf nerd warrior training. I look forward to it. Um, yeah, it's a gap. I, um, my, you know, this is going to sound whatever, but I, I told, I told me what you're going to say, but well, I, I told Fred this story on the humble and Fred show recently. And it was, he said, you know, he just can't, I mean, he's a big Maple Leaf fan. And I said, well, imagine he was trying to get, get into my love for Tiger Woods. I said, imagine if for a period of time you were a Maple Leaf fan and they won 25% of the Stanley Cups while you were watching them. I said, you know, back to your point about Babe Ruth and the, and the greatest of all time. So here's the thing. and When Tiger Woods had his problem, he won the 2008 U.S. Open and he didn't win again, um, I think until, I can't remember, till 2011 or 12, maybe even 13 he went away for a long time from winning. The point is, I was watching the tournament that he won, the first tournament after all those problems. And uh, my daughter walked in. on This was on a Sunday afternoon at my old place. And Tiger Woods putted out, won the tournament. And my daughter came in right at that moment. She said, Daddy? I said, yeah. She goes, are you crying? <laughs> I said, no. I'm not crying. You know, I had a little tear in my eye. She goes, are you, are you, are you crying about Tiger? I go, no. Anyway, so for me... Oh, it's, a, it's a great story, man. I mean, just look at all he's gone through. And, and, and when you're a golf nerd like you and me, uh, and you you know, and you know put it together with events like particularly uh, all the ups and downs in his life and, and winning at the pinnacle of, of the game we care so much about, holy crap, yeah. I've shed a few tears. For sure. Well, and I guess that's my way of saying if he wins the uh, if he wins the Masters, I'm not 100 percent sure I'll be able to work on Monday. I'll be, yeah, I'll be spent. I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what will happen. I'm just looking here. He um, he won in 2008. He um, 
I'm trying to think of when he won again. I think it was... Uh, I can't see this thing. It's too complicated. But anyway, the fact is, uh, it would be something else. It'll be the not only the gr- biggest story in golf, obviously, but I can't imagine this year producing a bigger sports story than Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Oh, yeah. Well, it would be on a par, if you will, with Jack winning in 1986 when everyone thought it was like he was done. And part of that, Jack was a, a love figure. Uh, he had his son uh, carrying on the bag. But you look at everything that Tiger's been through. People love stories of resilience, of people who have been down and, and come back up. And that would fit the bill. Whether it be greater than Jack, who knows? But just in this world of of the way um, information is exchanged now in real time, and just the presence that that this type of stuff has in our society, the energy around it would just be absolutely incredible. Well, listen. Happy uh, week uh, to you and your family. Happy, happy Masters week. <laughs> happy Masters. And uh, it's funny, they were showing some of the uh, T-shirts at the, uh, whatever that is, in, at Augusta. And uh, one of the T-shirts... Pardon me, sir? The Part 3 contest, perhaps? No, no, no. This was, they were selling merch. And one of the, oh, tur- the one of the T-shirts for sale was uh, that, what do they say, the tradition above all? Or... Tradition like any other. Yeah, tradition like no other. That's what it was. And I was like, I got to get one of those T-shirts. That's right. That's right. Um, okay, I'm, we're we're going to say thanks. Thanks to uh, Rudra. Thanks to Adidas. Thanks to yeah. the Guelph team. Thanks to uh, Mo Norman and his book, your book, Feeling of Greatness. <laughs> and uh, I wish you a good day, sir. You too. Um, just enjoy, hang on. Enjoy the Masters. Okay, when we hang up, don't hang up because I'm going to tell you a funny story. And maybe next week we'll tell you that story. Okay, nerds? Okay, bye. In the park, meantime. Sound of the river, you're stopping your whole everything. A band is blowing. Hey, that was great. That was great.